Hi everyone, I'm Coco Moret, lifestyle editor of Tatler Singapore. You're listening to Decoding Brilliance, our new podcast series in partnership with Tiffany and Co. Here, we dive deep into the illuminating realms of jewelry, the social impact of gems, languages of love, masterful craftsmanship, and innovative design, marrying precious moments with precious stones. Okay, so we're here with Rani Moran, who is a life coach, and she's here today to talk to us about love languages, what they mean, how they fit into relationships, and uh, how traditional symbols of love are changing, and uh, why diamonds are not the only symbol of love, but still top of the mind when it comes to love and engagement. So hi, Rani. Thank you so much for being here with us. Hi, Coco. How are you? Very good. How are you? So excited. Yeah. I can't wait. This is one of my most favorite topics, language of love. Yeah. I mean, this has been such a hot topic for the last couple of years. Everyone's talking about love languages. It's almost kind of like a second nature to be like, oh, what's your love language? Oh, my love language is this. So I'm really excited to dive into this with you today. Um, so maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about you as a life coach and what you do, what you specialize in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a psychological counselor and then also a professional coach that specializes in relationship, resilience, and then family, and then career as well. And truly, it has been really an eye-opener, especially during the COVID lockdown, where many people struggling silently as well with mental health and also motivating themselves and even in terms of relationship and love. Those were the period of time that many people were forced to reevaluate their relationship reevaluate the meaning of their life, the meaning of their love, and get to know themselves and each other's better. Mm -hmm. So I think to the topic today is so important for everyone to listen and then just to understand what is really language of love, mm -hmm. how can we navigate differences language of love. Well, one of the love languages is like words of affirmation, right? So for some people, words are extremely, if not the most important thing in a relationship. Maybe you can run through what the other love languages are so that people have a clear idea. Yeah, so the idea was proposed by Gary Chapman in 1992. So why did he come up with love languages? And the first was actually with coming from love languages test, right? Um, was crafted around consistent patterns on how people give and receive love. Um, by finding out our own love languages and the love languages of, of the partner, we hope that we can cater directly and more meaningfully to uh, the needs of ourselves and others so that everyone can feel truly loved. So what are the love languages? There are five. And words of affirmation, of course. And then usually in the form in the form of verbal acknowledgments of affection and quality time, gifts, act of service. So this is the one that not many people understand. What do you mean, act of service? Is when your partner goes out of their way to make your life easier. <laughs> and and the last love language is physical touch. So what we do need to understand is that not everyone communicates love in the same way. And it's okay. It's normal. 
I was just going to ask if it's important for, say, a couple to have the same love language or is it okay if they have completely different love languages? Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, people have different ways we prefer to receive love. And while we all may relate to most of the five languages that I mentioned, um, each of us has one primary one that speak to us the most. How do we know? Because some people would probably say, oh, I think I'm a bit of this and a bit of that. Mm -hmm. When the one that you know uh, which one is the most of your love language is that when you need the most, which one that you feel more? Um, coming back to your question, uh, do couple needs to actually have exactly the same love language? No, it's not important to have the same love language. What's important is being aware and conscious of how you give mm -hmm. and receive love and how your partner does too. Um, giving and taking cocoa uh, is a vital mechanism inherent to all personal relationships, not only love relationship, but family and then friendship, anything. And why is it important? Because it cultivates and nurtures a sense of trust, cooperation, appreciation and self-worth really. Mm -hmm. um, so why is it important returning a gesture of love? right? Yeah. And some people do that. Why is it so important, this language of love? I mean, okay. Um, because it cements that feeling that you both are equally matter and invested in each other's well-being. And that it shows that you are working together to build solid future. But the downside, and this is what I find, is that um, when we are then starting to treat a language of love and then start becoming petty. Like when there is a pettiness, um, that's when one partner become more calculative than the other. So manipulation in a way. Manipulation, but also keeping track of things they have done or received. Oh, right. So keeping score. Yes, yeah. keeping score. <laughs> And then getting upset, right. suffering in silence when the gestures and efforts are not reciprocated accordingly. So to me, those sort of people is actually an issue, more of an issue of self-awareness and self-reflection where I would always recommend for that one person to reassess where these feelings of unfair treatment originate from. Um, rather than projecting or burdening your partner with such expectation. And again, coming back to what I said earlier, no one can read your mind. So <laughs> remember that the golden rule is, this is basic, to just always do onto others what you want others to do onto you. Right. I mean, that's really just like the golden rule, but also yes. can sometimes be very hard to follow, especially in the heat of a moment or when you're going through a difficult time or... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And um, yeah, because also another thing as well, why is it difficult is that we typically give the way we want to receive, right? right? Vice versa. So we expect our partners to love us in the same way we love them. Um, but 
what happens is that we are setting unrealistic expectations that are bound to leave us feeling unsatisfied or unfulfilled. So what we need to realize and understand is that how we express love versus how our partners express love can be different. And we need to just find a good balance of giving and taking. Um, and also allowing to receive that love because this is also another problem. That's a good point. Yeah, not being able to receive love is for some people is a very real problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. So would you say that the sort of quote unquote antidote to that is self-love? Because when you love yourself, I feel like you're more open to receiving love from others or just feeling like you're worthy of it. Absolutely. Most of the problem is that the person is not feeling that uh, they are they are worthy of, of receiving love mm -hmm. and therefore no matter how much your partner is trying to show their affection, their commitment and love, mm -hmm. you would never feel and see it mm -hmm. because you don't have that basic of self-love yourself. And another thing as well is probably unresolved issues mm -hmm. from the past. Usually then it related back to your upbringing, trauma, maybe you grew up having parents who constantly tell you that not good enough, you know, and that stays within you. Mm -hmm. So again, that comes back to self-awareness and self-reflection. What does self-love look like to you? Pretty much the most important thing is allowing yourself to make mistake. Okay. Seeing mistake as a normal part of human. That's a problem, especially in the world nowadays, yeah. right? And I think we were just talking about, you were saying a lot of um, people who grew, grew up with helicopter parents, mm. which you explained was quite overbearing parents mm. who were very critical of their children, um, grow up to be exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And what happened is that people who grew up from that sort of environment, I think most people do, especially in this part of the world, yes. right? you develop that habit of self-criticism and um, it's a way of motivating yourself. How I push myself further is by constantly telling myself, okay, I want more. This is not enough. And that's not self-love. Right. And what happens is that when you start then making mistake, when you are confronted by failure or discomfort, that's it, you sabotage yourself. You pull yourself in a deeper hole. So this is very important first, is to realize that mistakes is part, being, part of being human mm -hmm. and it's part of growing. That's how we learn. How do you learn to, be, to forgive people if you're, you have not experienced at all feeling hurt? That's true. Right? Yeah. So how do you know how it feels to be loved if you've never experienced how it feels not being loved. Mm -hmm. So that's just part of the pendulum mm -hmm. and part of the normal part of living and being human that we need to embrace. Absolutely. That is, in my opinion, the ultimate um, way of self-care and self-love. I like that, I like that a lot. And I think it, it's uh, very relevant, as you said, to this part of the world, which uh, emphasizes a lot on perfection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what's your love language? Have you established your primary love language? Oh my God, I <laughs> could probably share you an experience about okay. me and my husband. So my love language is word of affirmation. And my husband's love language is physical touch. 
So you could imagine, right, the beginning of our marriage life, how conflict yes. <laughs> could easily happen. <laughs> so when he came back from office, he expected the wife to give him a big cuddle, give him a big kiss. And I expected myself to just like, okay, how was your day? And tell right. him everything about my struggle <laughs> and wanting to know his struggle. So we had an experience at the beginning because we didn't understand our own love language and each other's love language. He felt that I don't love him and I felt that he didn't actually love me. So that's an example of where couple can have completely different love language um, and the importance of being aware mm -hmm. and open communication on what is it that I need and yeah also respecting on what what he needs. Right. That's a great example, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very easy to have those wires crossed when you think you're showing that person, you know, the most love that you can by show, yeah. doing what you would want from them. Absolutely. And that coming across to them as like, what? You don't yeah. love me. <laughs> yeah. Even with children, right? Parents right. and children. A lot of parents think that, okay, when I was growing up, I did not actually get that financial... Um, uh, luxury, maybe mm. financial sort of like support that much for my parents. So they projected that unmeet needs to the children thinking that, okay, my love language is that here. I buy you whatever you want. But the child love language is not through gifts. Right. It could be quality time. Quality time, act of service mm -hmm. or, or physical touch. And that's where it gets lost. Right. No okay. matter how much the parents do or the couple do, the other one would feel um, dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think, um, I mean, from the people that you see through your work, more people are starting to understand um, the sort of nuances of being in relationships with people who um, accept and communicate love? In an individualistic way, in my opinion, I think people love this idea and novelty of, oh, language of love, language <laughs> of love test. It's got a real sort of romantic, you know, kick yes, to it, yes. language of love. Absolutely. Yeah. And they start doing the test purely to know, what do I want? What do I need? It's interesting. Like, why do you need a test to tell you what you need? Well, I guess maybe, yeah. <laughs> because um, we live in a very competitive world that the focus is that, okay, achieve your success, mm -hmm. but not having that much space and time. Okay, for you to be able to reach success and happiness, you've got to start building your own sense of purpose, value, and meaning. So the education from home and at school did not start that way, right? True. So you grew up into a mature sort of like age, falling apart. It's like, oh my God, hang on a minute, who am I, right? So that's unfortunately not the focus and I hope we can change that by many people listening to that, this podcast. But if you want to know about language of love, it's not only about knowing what you want and need, but your ability to accept and respect what other people's want and need. Mm -hmm and do that for them too. Right, of mm. course. So one of the love languages is gifting. Mm. And I think sort of from a, you know, all of the love languages are absolutely valid, but maybe some people might perceive gifting as something that's a little bit shallow or materialistic. Vague, right. <laughs> so maybe can you talk about like 
the other side of gifting? Like, why is that some people's love language? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the history okay. of, of uh, gifting. It goes way, way back. Oh my God, like <laughs> gifts were offered to gods as a gesture of adoration, right? Mm. Cavemen exchange items crafted from bone, shells, and stone. Why? To strengthen their social connections. And even animals give each other gifts. Uh, to form bonds yes. and attract uh, their mating partners. Like penguins with their rocks. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So it's not vague. It's not pretentious. It's normal. It's part of nature, part of uh, being a living being. Mm-hmm. Um, and fast forward to modern day. I mean, look at we now. We haven't changed much. No. <laughs> um, but you're right. It is It is a form of adoration or like yes. a form of respect. You know, if you go to someone's house, don't go empty handed. This is just, thank you for welcoming, to, welcoming me to your home. Yeah. So there's definitely that sort of wholesome, respectful side of gifting. Deeper meaning. And yeah. I'll, I'll go into that like from birthdays, anniversaries to Christmas. And we now even have like what? push presents before yes. giving, <laughs> giving birth, all s- sorts of special occasions. So why is it important? Because giving gifts is actually also a way to show love, devotion, a sign of appreciation, and or backed by desire for reciprocity, right? Mm. Which that means that you are projecting your love language Uh, of gifts to others as well. Um, Not um, act of gifting can come naturally, but not all of us, most of us. um, You know, this is after all where that phrase of it's the thought that counts um, (laughs) was born, right? So beyond giving gifts, um, what we give can say a lot about us Mm. and your relationship like jewelry, in most cases, represent some of the most deep emotional gestures as not only they are, of course, grand presents, but they often hold much deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, So for people, especially the ones who have gifts as a love language, the act of giving uh, a gift serves a gesture of appreciation and care because it shows that I am thinking of you even when you are not around mm. and wanted to find a way to make you smile, right? right? So the gift also becomes a physical token, memorializing a moment, right. experience uh, or feeling. So in other words, it's less about the specific things that is being given, but more about what that thing symbolizes. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the grandest gifts that one can receive as a woman um, or man is the engagement ring. Mm. It's, it's the hopefully, if you're lucky, once in a lifetime <laughs> gift. Um, and, you know, it was it was Charles Louis Tiffany who invented the solitaire engage, engagement ring back in uh, 1886. So thoughts on engagement rings as a gift, as a love language? Well, um, he wasn't called the King of Diamonds for no reason, right? Um, So since then, this is talking about engagement ring or even wedding ring, solitaire rings have come to symbolize one of life's most precious moments. Mm -hmm. 
um, an engagement, like what you mentioned, or a union of, of lovers. It's like a statement making, um, yet understated. And the design is just so timeless. This is my opinion of, of engagement rings. Um, and, and really timeless because it's just elegant and also glamorous at, at once. Yeah, that's that's what I think. Yeah, talking about Tiffany, uh, they've come to symbolize so many facets of love. Whether it's buying the first photo frame for your baby, your sixteen-year-old daughter's first bracelet, or of course, as we said, engagement rings. Um, why do you think Tiffany, as a brand, has become synonymous with love? And uh, what does a Tiffany gift convey about the giver and the receiver? Yeah, um, we spoke about earlier. Charles Louis Tiffany was the man behind the iconic. Solitaire, solitaire ring right and tiffany's story about love and life's milestones has evolved around that i think uh, it was first known for its silverware right and and then diamonds of course mm-hmm. um, which made the house of tiffany is the go-to for all occasion like i remember always heading to a Tiffany shop whenever I want to get a gift for housewarming or a baby shower present, a wedding, a birthday. Um, it's life's big moment. Yeah, right? life big moment. Or even like what you said, you come to someone's house, they are hosting a big sort of like dinner for you mm-hmm. as a token of uh, respect and appreciation. So there is always something for everyone for every moment in tiffany house then of course was the iconic blue box right (laughs) i mean imagine receiving that blue box the emotion i mean you can't compare the excitement um that someone feel upon receiving that colored box it's so iconic isn't it it's a psychological win (laughs) Um, especially the history that it has been created since um, 1940s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so since then, even my home jewelry collection has grown with, with Tiffany, and I'm sure uh, many other lovers of the brand out there would probably say the same thing. Yeah, and like you said, it, you know, when it comes to jewelry especially, these things have so much significance and mm. they're so sentimental. It's mm. not just an item you keep around this is something you'll probably pass down to your kids and hopefully to their kids and so on and so forth yeah yeah Yeah. because it symbolizes the memory the experience and the meaning itself like Mm. like we discussed before do you personally have any sort of heirlooms um that have been passed down to you or something that you're excited to pass down to your kids um have been passed down to me yes uh from my grandmother um, can I pass it down to my boys? Because I have boys. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't think I can pass my necklace or my earrings to my boys. <laughs> but I hope that I will get a good daughter-in-law yes. <laughs> who would have the same or similar taste of, of jewelry at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the pieces? Can you tell me a little bit yeah, about yeah, them? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, from my grandmother, it's more so of diamonds uh, okay. pieces. Um I think diamond is just valuable and then it symbolizes elegant and then also lasting, in my opinion, um, and in the form of ring. Um, do I have 
sapphire, yes, mm. in the form of necklace. Yeah, so it's more jewelry um, that my grandmother actually passed it down to, to us, not mm. only me. Yeah. So apart from diamonds, what are some other ways that we can convey our love, especially for women? What What's a good gift that's sort of the equivalent of jewelry or diamonds to women that you could give, say, your partner, your male partner? Yeah, and this is important to talk about. Mm -hmm. Us women, I think, are stuck in this thinking of, okay, men have to actually present the gifts. This is actually man's job. I don't think we can say that anymore. We live in an era where women have equality in, in um, you know, position in a relationship. And what it means is that women must also be willing to give uh, uh, gifts to men as well, right? Um, so this is very important for all the women out there. Like if you want to break out of the stigma of women also have a place, a same equal place, it goes also to language of love. Mm -hmm. It needs to be applied as well in gifting and then showing love too. Because surely like... There's a plenty of men whose love language is probably gifting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there are people who are natural givers, mm -hmm. who find joy in giving, giving time, effort, and even physical gifts, like what you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, while it may be a gift that you didn't expect or ask for, even if you aren't the voluntarily giving type, it's good to consciously allow yourself to give permission uh, for yourself to be okay to give to your man or to even receive, we talked about it, to yes. receive and appreciate such uh, gestures and reciprocate when, when you can. Any friendship, any relationship or any other kind of partnership works best if the effort is mutual. Um, a dynamic that is one-sided where the man gives more only to the woman, vice versa, uh, one makes effort and the other not will be unstable and unbalanced and unfulfilling no matter which side you are on, even if you are the side who is actually giving, right? Mm -hmm. So with Tiffany, um, to the best of my knowledge, not only the engagement rings, um, they have also other items uh, for men, right? Any kind of gen any gender you are, any style or taste, that's the beauty of the house, I think, Coco. Yeah. They have fine watches as well mm -hmm. and fragrances and homeware or just like office mm -hmm. sort of like um, uh, things for, yeah. for the men. I still remember, um, you know, in breakfast at Tiffany's when they go in and they're like, do you have anything for, I think it was like three or five dollars. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who worked at Tiffany's, yeah. he found something. It was, I think it was... A little like a, a pin of some sort. Yeah. And then uh, Holly Golightly, which is played by Audrey Hepburn, she says something to the likes of, oh, nothing bad can ever happen at Tiffany's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's a kind of like acceptance and equality and there's something for everyone here. Absolutely. There is something for everyone, something for any occasion and lots and lots of gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whether it's a pin or an engagement ring. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that's just about everything. So thank you so much for answering our questions. Pleasure. And for offering your very insightful wisdom about relationships, boundaries, self-love, 
Um, I really appreciated our talk today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Coco. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. This has been Decoding Brilliance, a Tatler Singapore podcast in partnership with Tiffany & Co. For more episodes on the illuminating realms of jewelry, the social impact of gems, innovative design, and masterful craftsmanship, please like and subscribe to our channels on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thank you.